Good morning, Rock Bible Church. It's good to see you all. Uh, Men, uh, come to retreat with me. Let's go golfing first. We're going to go up. I'm going up early. Uh, Nick's golfing. I'm golfing. uh, golfing. You can come. We'll golf. Then we'll go to the retreat. We go early. We'll watch Heitzman abuse some of the Redwoods. And uh, we'll have a good old time. And uh, would love for you to to join us for that. Um, For the rest of you, uh, Thursday night, it's in four days. Who are you inviting? Lord's Supper. Robert Livermore Center. It's going to be awesome, okay? I want to, I want to draw your attention to a, a, a reputation we're having as a church. This is becoming a regular thing. We have an event. A lot of people sign up. We put on the event, and then more people show up. We become the church of roll out another table. Where can we find chairs, right? That's becoming... Our reputation. It happened just a, a, a few days back when we did the dinner for Mexico. It's like, how do we get more people in here? We're, we're having to rent new places. Okay, here's, here's why this happens. Because people don't sign up. Not everybody signs up, right? And then they're going to bring somebody. And we have a policy. We have very few policies, by the way, but we have this policy. If, you, if they can come, bring them. We'll make room, right? We'll roll out another table. We'll grab some more chairs. But I would love a new policy where you actually sign up or tell somebody that you go online. And so now I know what you're going to say. This is what you're going to say. You say, Scott, you know it's second service. It's not us. We're we're first service people, right? We show up early. We plan ahead. I know which days I'm having off in 2025 already. I get it. But the best you can, I want you to bring people and tell us about it so that we can have a great night. And uh, really what we're doing is it's a it's an entry level event to God. It's not at the church. It's free food. Okay, that's like the major part of the equation for most men right there. It's not at church and there's free food, okay? It's a Thursday night. It's very lightly programmed, okay? So we're not going to bombard anybody, okay? I save that for Sunday mornings. All right, we'd love to have you there. Hope you'll be there. Amen? Amen. All right, welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We're compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship, be in a community that serves the greater community. Amen? We stole all of that from the Bible, and as we go through passages on Sunday mornings, we try to point out where we stole that from so that we can continue to be the church, all right? And uh, I had a moment yesterday. Uh, I ran into a lady, and she was not doing well. And she broke down right in front of me, grabbed me, hugged me, the whole thing. And I said, well, it's a good thing I'm here. And she's like, what's wrong with you? Like, I said, because I'm with the church. She's like, what does that have to do with it? I, that's what we do. We help people. She doesn't like the church or has problems with the church or doubts with the church. I said, hey, regardless of all that stuff, church people want to help. The church is here to help. So tell me what you need, and we'll see if we can help. And that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> Right? 
it was kind of a cool moment. It just made me start thinking, like, how do we, how do we help people that live in one of the most expensive places in the world? And they don't tell anybody what their problems are. They just kind of go about life and hope that nobody notices when they're struggling. Uh, and when they're doing really well, they don't tell anybody either, right? We barely even talk to the people that got a garage next to us. It's rough. Uh, so we got to be the church. We got to get loud. We got to say hi to people, talk to people, shake hands, look them in the eye, the whole thing, best we can, because uh, that's how we get God known. That's how we help them understand that he's alive, well, still active, and he ain't done yet. Amen? Okay, there's my mini sermon because of my experience last night. All right, so we'll see what we can do to help her. Uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Matthew. We're chapter 6, 26 uh, t- today. Uh, Thursday, we're going to circle back a couple verses to the passage in, in chapter 26 that is uh, communion, where Jesus talks about it there. Um, but we're also, in our calendar, we're Palm Sunday. We're triumphal entry Sunday. This is the Sunday, and we taught about this quite a ways back. This is the Sunday where Jesus came to town, and right as he's coming in, he said to everybody, uh, go get a donkey from this piece of property. Tell the guy the Lord has need of it, and he, he marches into town in total fulfillment to the T of the prophecy of what Messiah would look like when he came. He made a grand, bold statement of guess who came to town. I like to call it uh, when love comes to town, right? Because of that great song that uh, you two redid with, uh, I can't remember, it was a B.B. King, I don't know. Yeah, love that. Love came to town this day in history for us, and this is the beginning of Passion Week, and it's super exciting. And so I, I hope that you'll recognize this week as maybe a little more of an opportunity Hey, Thursday, oh, sorry, I can't. Why? It's Monday, Thursday. What? Yeah, it's the beginning of communion. It's the traditional day that we, those are little conversations you can have. Hey, Friday, oh, you mean um, Good Friday? What? Yeah, it's Good Friday. Did you know this is Good Friday? Hey, what are you doing for Easter? Right? Not that you need to invite them over, but just start the conversation that way. There's great opportunities this week, so take advantage of them. Uh, let's bring the ushers forward. We have Bibles, outlines, and pens for you to follow along. Prayer request cards that you can fill out, drop in the offering plate at the end so that we can pray for you. Uh, and then we're going to be jumping into Matthew chapter 26, verse 46. If you want to um, turn there as you're getting your Bibles and such. And then I want to pray for us to begin. So if you would join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, just like on Christmas, on Palm Sunday, you once again came to town. I pray, Lord, that we would entertain the idea in our mind of how many other times and ways have you shown up for us? We sang this morning that you're perfect in all of your ways. Many of those ways are right here with us. 
And so I pray, Lord, you would help remind us of those. Remind us from your word this morning. Point out the things we need to see. Not just as a collective whole, not just as humans, not just as a church, but as individuals, Lord. I pray that there would be something unique and special for each person that's here this morning. That it would be of you by your spirit in honor of your son. We pray it in his name. Amen. All right. Uh, Jesus has just finished. He's in the garden and he's been talking with the disciples. And uh, well, anyways, he, he as he's teaching, uh, we're going to get to this place where this is where Judas betrays him. And this is the betrayal. And I wanted to cover it this this morning because it's leading up to uh, the Good Friday and what happens on the cross and the crucifixion. And we can't get through all the passages in time to get to Easter in Matthew this week. So we're going to revisit some of those passages after Easter and, and look at them. Well, now that we know what happened on Easter, how would you look back and, and view what happened? Uh, but I wanted to cover this one this morning because you can't really get to Easter without Judas. That's a weird way to say it, but you really need Judas in the story to understand how did Jesus end up at the cross. And there's a really fun way to look at this. Uh, And I've called it capturing Jesus. Because in this passage, we've got Judas, we've got the guards, the chief priests, we've got all these people that are, they're trying to capture him. And I want you to see that there might be another way to look at this. There might need another, uh, be another way to look at this idea of capturing Jesus. All right, Let's jump in. You'll see what I mean as we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Jesus had just finished his, uh, his three little trips out to pray in the garden with the disciples. He says, wait here, right? You remember last week? Remember the six commands he gave the disciples and, and the fun we had with how easy they were? Sit, stay, wait, watch, pray. Remember? Stand or arise. Go. Very simple things. And they, they, couldn't, they couldn't handle it. We had a lot of fun with it last week. At the very end, Jesus says this thing, because uh, look, my betrayer is at hand. He's arrived. And while he was still saying that, my betrayer has arrived. While he was saying that, here comes Judas. Right? If we had read this in succession, we'd have a very strong feeling about Judas right now. Right? We'd know Uh, He's not just Judas anymore. What title has been ascribed to him? Betrayer, right? Here's the chief priests, the elders. They've been trying to get him every way, and they can't outthink him. They can't out-argue him. They can't out-social media him. They can't out-talking point him. There's not enough dark money to take down his campaign. Amen? Amen. Uh, and so they've decided what, what's the only solution. We must kill him, <laughs> right? We're going to have a little fun with it because it's dark, right? 
dark. And I, I don't want it to be bummer Sunday. I want it to be happy Sunday, right? And we know that they're not going to win. So we got to make fun of them a little bit, right? Tease the opposition. That's what I say. Uh, verse 48. Now the betrayer, oh, where does name go? Where does name go? Guys, I need you to see this so subtle. It's, my, it's a, probably a total rabbit trail here, but when you turn from Jesus, you lose your identity. It's not a fill-in for the back, but it might be a write-down, right? When you, when you turn from Jesus, when you go your own way, in going your own way, you think you're setting your path, you're being independent and strong, and I'm going to be the master of my own destiny, and you're actually losing your identity. He becomes betrayer now, not just Judas. In fact, not Judas at all, just the betrayer. And he had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. The one I will kiss is the what? Shouldn't it be savior? The one I will kiss is the savior. One of the one I will kiss is the Messiah. The one I will kiss is the son of man. I mean, if you just put son of in the middle, in front of that, which... I know none of you do that. Jesus would have kept his identity, wouldn't he? When you go your own way, who else loses their identity in your mind only? Jesus. He loses his identity. He came up to Jesus and, at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. I kind of love that Matthew, the writer, Although Judas loses Jesus' identity and calls him the man, when, Jesus, when Matthew comments on it, it doesn't say, and he came up to the man at once and said, what is, he, what is, what is Matthew doing? Keeps his identity. And Matthew did a great job. It's probably one of the reasons why he ends up writing it down later for us to read and study and be edified by. Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. What irony of the betrayal of the kiss, right? Which over years there's become a, there's this been phrase, right, that we use sometimes in social circles. What do we call, what kind of kiss is it? Are we not knowing this? This is one of the only ways that Judas keeps his identity, right? What kind of kiss is it? Kiss of death, or the Judas kiss? You heard that one too, right? We're bringing it back. Right? Uh, he kissed him. Jesus said to him, betrayer. Is that what he said? He still calls him friend. Has Jesus lost his identity in his own mind? Not at all. Right? Never in question. Jesus knows exactly who Judas is. Do what you came to do. A very interesting phrase. Do what you came to do. Not do what you must do. Not do what you have to do. Not do what you shouldn't do. There's zero value placed on the statement. Super interesting to me that Jesus picks that way to say it. Do what you came to do. It almost implies that uh, we can make plans and plans to do things that might be off path, off trajectory, off priority, off doctrine, in the midst of God's greater economy, is he threatened by it? 
Where's the talk him out of it? Judas, friend, what are you doing? Really? Right, isn't that what all the young, everybody likes to say that these days, right? Something happens and they go, really? I like to have fun with my kids when they say that to me. Really? Really what? You know, he doesn't try to talk them out of it at all. He says, you, you can pick your course of action and I will be just fine. Do what you came to do. See what happens. It's kind of scary. It's kind of like when Wired Earp walks up to Johnny Tyler and Johnny Tyler gets all upset and says, you know, you're, you're starting to get in my nerves. And he says, well, skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. Right? A little, little tombstone reference. I know you don't get those very often in life. It's this, it's this kind of idea where when God's in the room, he's not worried about what everybody else is choosing to do or going to do. He'll be able to work it out all whenever he wants to, needs to, whenever it's appropriate. It's almost like he's willing to let us have our experiment. Keep our identity as we try things. Maybe with him, maybe without him. They still calls us friend. It says, do what you came to do. We'll work it out. I really never liked Judas. Anybody else? I, Judas is, uh, you know, when we had two boys. You know, one name never came up in the options for what we were going to name them. Hey, honey, how about Judas Berglund? What do you think? Right? That conversation never happened. Right? I've always had this super negative view of Judas. Until I got to seminary. Started reading, thinking, looking at language, looking at who he was, looking at what's going on. And really paying more attention to the outcome. And then wondering to myself, boy, I wonder if Judas is really a tragic figure. A guy who makes mistakes. Who went off the wrong way for a little too long, a little too much, whatever. Jesus still calls him friend, lets him do what he thinks he needs to do. Judas repents later. And the more I think about it, I, I, I kind of wonder if I'm more like him than maybe some of the others, right? I mean, Matthew's too good. Right? He writes really well. He never does anything wrong. We don't get any stories about any of that in the Bible, you know? I can't identify with Matthew. I struggle with reading, let alone writing. Judas, he makes sense to me. Am I saying we should betray Jesus? Okay, because second service is going to get confused and I'm going to need to tell them your answer. Okay. He kissed him. Do what you came to do. And they came up, laid hands on Jesus, and seized him. They captured him. Did they get him? Kinda. But did they really get him? No. So did they get him or not? 
Both, right? And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest. This is where uh, the movie sets in, right? When they make the movie, this is going to be a great scene, right? Peter gets all excited. Oh, not on my watch. I'm going to be a little sword fight or whatever. We know that it's Peter from a different passage. It never says it here. Why? Because Matthew wants us to stay clear on the identity of Jesus and the identity of Judas. And so he doesn't use Peter's name. And here we have Peter doing what he came to do, right? Is he any different than Judas in that aspect? I submit to you that they're the same. Oh, we're not going to do this. He cuts off the ear. He says, I'm stopping. I'll fight for you. Cut off his ear. Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place. Wait, why does Judas get to pick his course of action, but Peter doesn't? I, I, isn't Peter's outcome, I mean, for us on the Jesus side like, of the conflict, right? Wouldn't we like the outcome of Peter's course of action more than the outcome of Judas's course of action? Wouldn't we? I mean, aren't we rooting for Peter, folks? I mean, isn't he the head of the church in some ways? Right? Say no. <laughs> Folks, Judas is how we get the cross. What do we get from Peter? Bunch of examples of mistakes. Hey, dude, get back in the boat. Hey, dude, be quiet. Hey, buddy, put the sword away, right? This is a bunch of mistakes. At least Judas gets us the cross. He goes and cuts the guy's ear off. I mean, Judas never cut any guy's ear off. I mean, who's better, Peter or Judas? I don't know. Don't answer that, all right? But cut off his ear. Jesus says, put your sword back in place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. This is not how we live as Christians. We're not meant to be violent people. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Oh, as a little competitive boy, I was so excited about that phrase. When does that happen? Right? Now, I know I referenced the movie. It hasn't come out yet. And, and I, I'm looking forward to when it comes out because I want there to be like one of the characters. I want them to have like a moment where they are dreaming, daydreaming for a second. And they imagine the 12 legions of angels showing up. And, what the, and then I want them in the movie. I want them to play out that whole daydream. I think it'd be awesome. Can you imagine if Jesus came down and said, oh, you want to do violence? Well, I'm really good at it. Let me show you how violence was meant to be done. I'd like to introduce you to my 12 legions of angels. Do your best. Jesus says, no, we're not doing violence. If we were, I could solve it that way. But we're not solving it through violence. I'm not going to be an authoritarian. We're not going to do dictator. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. Peter, Judas, everybody else who's listening, this is what we are. We're not doing violence. We're not doing loss of identity. We're not doing any of these other things. What are we doing? We're doing scripture. We're doing word of God. We're doing will of God. 
Oh, you're a Christian? What do you, what do you believe in? I believe in the word of God and the will of God. How's that for a fun little answer? I give you permission to use it. How then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. How do the scriptures be fulfilled? Right? Is this a fun little question for right now? Like, how do scriptures get fulfilled? Gosh, Scott, that sounds like a like really high-level seminary course. Like, I need a lot of information to try and answer that one. Okay. I'm going to show you how to graduate a seminary class. Okay? Ready? How is it that the scriptures are fulfilled? Any way God wants them to be. Does that sound right to you? Okay, now you skip all the rest of the courses. <laughs> all right? And God has chosen to do it this way. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords, clubs, to what? To capture me? To capture Jesus? Are you trying to capture me? Hence the title, Capturing Jesus. Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching. You did not seize me, but all this has taken place. Why? The scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. There's a bigger purpose going on here. Much bigger than your desire to capture me. Much bigger than your discomfort with what I represent and how it has put you out. Don't worry, that never happens to you. That God's position might put you out or make you uncomfortable or what he represents might be in conflict with some of your agendas. I know that never happens to any of you, so breathe easy. Happens to me all the time. Then those who had seized or captured Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter, following him at a distance. What happened to Sword Boy? What happened to not on my watch? And right, is he following? Yeah, he's following barely at a distance. As far as the courtyard of the high priest, he's he's outside the courtyard. He's like, that's a good distance. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. I really want to talk to Matthew. Um, I'm going to heaven, newsflash. Uh, when I get there, Matthew's going to be there. And at some point, I want to sit down with him. And I want to ask him what that meant. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. I don't think that was the end, Matthew. What did you mean? It was, the, it was the end in Peter's mind? Had he quit at that point, given up? Drew the sword, he was going to fight for it. Jesus chastised him and told him to put it away. We're doing something different. 2,000-something years later, I read that wasn't the end. So what are you really getting at here? The end of this little trial? Uh, you keep talking about bigger things, Matthew. What did you mean? Help me understand. 
I say that uh, thematically or as an analogy because I think when we get to heaven, we're going to kind of know all things, so I won't have to actually have the conversation with Matthew. It's just a way to think about it here when during the sermon, okay? Because someone will write to me and say, you know, when we get to heaven, we're supposed to know all things. I'm trying to preempt that email. Peter follows at a distance, wants to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. They found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at last two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. They said they're looking for false testimonies. They couldn't get any false testimonies and all the false witnesses uh, came forward. And then it says, and then two came forward. Two what? False witnesses? It doesn't say false witnesses. It says two came forward. Two people, two entities came forward. But he's been saying false, 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 false. And then right when he gets to the two that came forward, it doesn't say false. Why? Because this is a false statement. I'm able to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. That was the truth. We finally get two correct witnesses actually they just thought it was blasphemy because they didn't know what they who they were dealing with folks be careful when you discredit god and the claims he has made either in his word or through other people to you about your life because that's the blasphemy is doubting what he could or could not do the high priest stood up and said you have you no answer to make What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Up to this point, he's just asking him questions. Here he invokes the name of God. Before, when it's just questions, he stays silent. He says nothing. But when he references God, now Jesus has to answer. I don't know if you've caught that before and you read this, this passage, but I absolutely love it. I adjure you by the living God. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus finally now answers it. What a classic answer. What a perfect answer. You have said so. You know. This is fake questioning. You're asking me questions you know the answers to already. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy, which is extreme irony, folks, because who uttered blasphemy in saying he has uttered blasphemy? That's funny. You've got to start reading the Bible and enjoy the irony and the comedy in it, right? He accuses Jesus of blasphemy, which, by the way, is logically impossible. I'll let you think about that one, and we can talk about it another day. It is impossible for Jesus to blaspheme. God cannot speak against himself, because when he changes his mind, he's changed his mind. And if he's changed his mind, he's not speaking against himself, right? Which is the definition of blasphemy. Yeah, we'll talk about it another day. What further witnesses do we need? As many as possible till you get the point. That's the real answer to that question. You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Worst phrase in the Bible, maybe. 
Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Folks, I was half tempted to just do one whole Sunday on that last phrase. Has he prophesied to us? For how many generations? For how many thousands of years? Has he prophesied to us? Yeah, you know their names, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, right? We have all the prophecy we need, don't we? What do they call him? You Christ. They say it and they use the Lord's name in vain. They speak the truth without knowing it. Wow. Who is it that struck you? What an arrogant question. What a mocking question. They know the answer. And spiritually, we're the ones that strike him. It's our sin, it's our defiance of God that puts us in trouble with him. It puts us in need of the cross. Puts us in a position where only God who can do all things can save us. And that's when we really want him to be what we just sang, perfect in all of his ways. Because when we get to the place where we're acting like that, asking that kind of questions, neglecting the truth of what's already happened, we need saving and we need it for, from somebody who's perfect in all of those ways and sees us still in our identity, still calls us friend. What a great thing for us to remember leading up to the Lord's Supper, leading up to the crucifixion, leading up to the resurrection because next week I want to give you a tip a little hint I'm, I'm setting you up for success people are going to walk into church and they're going to say he is risen and you're going to say he is risen indeed right it's one of the few times we use the word indeed in modern life okay but it's the excitement that it wasn't the end Peter didn't come through the courtyard inside to sit down to watch the end he watched the beginning of your future and that's why we get excited. And we, next Sunday, we're going to say, he is risen. If you really have fun with it, you can start the phrase with somebody. Make them try to end it, right? And if they don't know, you coach them, teach them a little. Amen? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Capturing Jesus. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him or capture him. Folks, we have in Judas an example of someone who was familiar with Jesus, but missed the point. Familiar with Jesus enough to capture him, and yet not familiar enough with him to get him. Little play on words there, right? And, and one of the things that Judas was missing, that Peter was trying to figure out, is this idea that familiar can't replace faithful. Familiar can't replace faithful. Well, you know, God and I are close, and, and I believe in him, and I know he'll forgive me. And we use that as a justification to go forward with an action that we know is unfaithful, which is disobedient, or wrong, or straight, it's sin. We're never meant to function that way. 
Familiar was meant to get you to faithful, not to replace it. And yet we, we function as humans in most of our endeavors, in most of our disciplines, we do faithful long enough to become familiar and then we think we're finished. I'm gonna do enough of it, I'll practice it enough times to kind of get, what's, I have, as long as I can memorize the answer and I can put it down on the test, then I've, I've been faithful enough to kind of function and, and be familiar with it and then once it's over, now I can move on and go do something else and we think we're finished with it. It's actually a backwards process for us. You should be getting familiar with Jesus as much as you can in order to fund your faithfulness, in order to follow, in, a, in order to put yourself in a place where, where it makes enough sense to you and you've tried it enough times that you're willing to try more. You're trying to do more faith. Invest in it. Help others do it. Tell people about it. Judas missed the point. He got familiar enough with Jesus that he figured out how to make it personally beneficial. He figured out how to monetize it. Don't worry, in modern culture, we don't monetize anything. We follow the money, always. It was never meant to work that way. You were never meant to be familiar with Jesus. He says, friend. And you know, one of the most important things in your relationship with the Lord is your faithfulness. Wait, I thought he's perfect in all his ways and he's loving and caring and forgiving and he's a savior and all, most of the important things in my relationship with God, God generates because he is perfect and he is sovereign and I am not. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. How is it that one of the most important things in my relationship with God would be my faithfulness? Because it's one of the few things on your side of the equation that you could actually do at times. There's so many things you can't generate. Obedience is one of them. In fact, there's a great phrase in the Bible. He who hears these words of mine and believes them, he who hears these words of mine and meditates on them, thinks about them, tests them, decides if they're logical, agrees with them, decides they're convenient. No. He who hears these words of mine and obeys them, he will be like a our verse folks welcome to rock bible church he who hears these words of mine and obeys them he who is faithful that's why we named our tree or our church after something important amen because familiar can never replace faithfulness. You know what else? Preference can never preempt predestination. Preference can never preempt predestination. Gosh, what's with all the P words, Scott? I'm trying to get you to remember stuff. Conceptually. The preference was, I want a little money. But the preference was, I'm not as important as uh, James and John and Peter. I'm farther down the list. I'm just Judas. 
I want this. I want that. Oh, gosh, Judas, your, your preferences get in the way. Was it just him? No. Remember, who drew the sword? Who cut off the ear? Who was off path? Peter. See, it's not just Judas who steps out of line. In fact, I've been pointing out to you in many of the other passages leading up to today that so-and-so did this and all the disciples said the same. We are people of preference, folks. And you need to make sure that you understand that many times your preference is trying to preempt God's predestination. It's a fancy way of saying your preferences are getting in the way of what God wants to do. Has decided he will do. And God's okay. This is a little bit bummer Sunday. This is a little bit scary. God's okay with saying to you, Come and do what you came to do. Because in my world, it's all predestined. I will let you chase your preference and you will get in trouble and I will be okay. And we'll see if you turn back. We'll see if at some point your preference becomes me as God. When we start kind of joining into the predestination of what God's plan is, what he cares about, what's priority, how we treat people, how we love him, it will change your preferences. Have you noticed that? There's, there's, there's a few times where I haven't been here at this church. Right, Sunday mornings. I like to joke with people. I don't know if you noticed this. It's probably shocking to you. Um, and they'll say, oh, yeah, 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 church, and I was thinking about coming to your church. Yeah, I was thinking about going too. <laughs> it was a joke. Why? I'm here every Sunday, pretty much. Unless I'm on a Mexico trip or whatever, you get Jack Roberts, which, by the way, thanks, Jack. Right? Maybe a little family vacation, you get Brent or somebody else, right? Thanks, Brent. But Sundays have become really, really weird for me when I'm not here. I can't handle it, folks, seriously. And, and I love that you people at home, you can watch on your video. When I'm not here, I can't watch even. I can't even lie. It's, it's rough. Why? Because I have developed a pro Sunday mornings. I feel like I'm supposed to be here. When I'm not here, it doesn't matter where else I... I start to get the shakes. It's that I'm not, not really. But I, I have this weird, like, I should be, I want to be, I like to be. I am going to be more in my future. These are my preferences now. You can be true in so many other ways in your relationship with the Lord. And how you serve and how you give and in the language that you speak out of your mouth, in the dialogue you have in your own head, in what you decide to care about with your heart, all of those preferences can be shaped and formed to be in compliance with his will. That sounds painful, Scott. <laughs> yes. You're getting it. Always painful? No. Some painful. Yes. Some extreme joy. Amen? We got to put our preferences in, in right priority order. Uh, lastly, you can capture Jesus. 
No, I don't mean the obvious. They showed up with their swords and their clubs and the chief priests and they actually captured him and they took him to the cross and they killed him. Uh, but I want you to understand this, this idea that you can get him. You can understand him. You can comprehend him. You can talk to him. Capturing Jesus was never meant to be a physical thing where we put him under our control. Capturing Jesus was meant to always be something where we take in enough of him, we get familiar with him enough, we start acting like him, preferring like him, thinking about him, talking to him, to where we, I finally get it. What would it feel like if somebody came up to you and said, you know, I really appreciate you as a Christian. And you said, huh, what, why? Right? That's just most of us. And their response to you would be because, because I feel like when it comes to God, you get it. How would that feel? Pretend I just said it to you. How does it feel right now? And I need more people to understand that that's possible. You can get God. It's kind of like capturing him. Amen? Don't let anything get in the way. Father God, thank you for this story. Thank you, more importantly, that you're the major player in this story. Thank you that you are perfect in all of your ways. And that regardless of Judas or how he saw himself or his course of action, regardless of Peter and how he tried to change and manipulate what was about to happen, Lord, you kept what the scriptures had said. And you made sure it happened to our benefit. I pray, Lord, for those who feel far or are conflicted, hurting, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that they would capture you. Lord, that you would capture them. And that you, in many ways, Lord, would just take over all of the stuff, all of the peripheral. Take us captive, Lord. And let us do the same with you. We thank you for this week. We thank you for what it represents. Pray, Lord, that you would lead us, that we might be yours in voice and action this week. We thank you for this offering that we're receiving. Pray, Lord, that it is given as unto you and that we would use it as if it was yours. We pray in your son's name. Amen.